to go through this series concerning the Holy Spirit. I suppose my greatest concern would be, and, and, and I think I share this with many of you, would be that this is not just an academic exercise, something to listen to, to come to, get excited about, and then kind of move on with the rest of your life. But what we know God wants to do is this. God really, really does, by His Spirit, want to be so much more continually, successfully, effectively, intimately involved with our lives on a moment-by-moment basis, not just when we're having difficulty and when we need to call upon the name of the Lord to help us. And so could we as a congregation be sure that we come with open hearts and ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches? And not only to hear, but to receive and to be diligent and passionate about seeking the application of what the Spirit is saying to us so that we can be God's people who display His glory in a way that absolutely overcomes and astounds the world. Let's be this kind of a church. This is the kind of leadership that we want to give to you. This is the kind of reception we want all of us to have. So in view of that, we're continuing to minister the Holy Spirit series. I think we're in number nine this morning, if I can remember correctly. And this morning, we're going to continue to examine the intangible work of the Holy Spirit as we consider his intangible work of dealing and overcoming with sin in our lives. Intangible. Remember the definition of intangible. It lacks material qualities. It's intangible. It's unable to be perceived with our natural senses. It's there, but it's not there. But because it's intangible does not mean that it does not have very natural, concrete, and tangible results. That's the difference. The intangible of the Holy Spirit's work produces tangible results. So how do I know the Holy Spirit is at work in my life through His intangible ministry inside of me and with me and to me and for me? Because I see something on the outside going on, intangible. And very much of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is intangible. We see Him at work, but we don't see Him with our eyes. You know, we hear His voice, but we don't hear His voice with our ears. We feel His presence, but we don't feel Him with our hands. We smell the aroma of God in us but we don't smell him with our noses. We taste God's grace, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We taste the grace of God in our lives, but we don't taste him with our tongues because he's intangible so often. But nevertheless, even though we're not talking about 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of us in this particular area of intangibility in a natural phenomena where we have the five senses. We can say, that's it, that's it, that's it. But we must insist and remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit always, always produces very, very tangible results. You remember last week, one of the verses that Keith read to us was from John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, being saved, becoming a child of God. And in John chapter 3, verse 8, toward the end of that verse, Jesus says this as he is explaining to Nicodemus what is going on because Nicodemus doesn't understand. What does it mean? What are you talking about being born again? Do I have to get back in my mama's womb? What does all this mean, being born again? Jesus says, look, Nicodemus. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the work of the Holy Spirit so often is that move of God, that wind, that breath of God that is intangible, that we do not discern and could put our hands on, but it produces the tangible result How many of us could say that the the intangible work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life, when the Holy Spirit moved upon you on that day when you were saved, how many can say that that intangible activity that was occurring inside of you has produced the very tangible result of your salvation? Can anybody say that? Is it tangible? Yes. Was it tangible when it was going on? It's just, you know, I know something, it's that kind of a thing. So this morning, what we want to do is focus on the Spirit's continuing intangible work in us that He began when He saved us. Let's pray. Father, Father, we're asking this morning that the tangible and the intangible will come together. That the discernible and the mystical, the mysteryness, will produce the effect that you desire. Father, for what we're talking about is your work. Father, what we're talking about is the result that you produce for your glory. So, Father, we don't want to just be here this morning listening to somebody talk about something. But, Father, by the power of the presence of your Spirit, would you impact each one of us this morning mightily and forevermore, changing us so that when we leave this building, we will know in a greater way, Holy Spirit is in me and he is at work in me. And I can have confidence. Father, do this work in us. We ask you this because Jesus has paid the full price for this to occur in his death and has given it to us through his resurrection and exaltation. Father, may your name be glorified today, every day, and every moment of our lives. 
as the Holy Spirit moves in us as your wind and as your breath moves through this world. Father, make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of us know that the greatest single problem in our lives is sin? How many of us know that? Now, if you don't know that, then please read your Bibles and ask the Holy Spirit, what is the major issue in my life? It's sin. This is the major problem. Major problem isn't whether Turkey will not live up to its financial debts and fold. Major problem isn't the financial markets. Isn't whether the Republicans are going to win or not win. These are not major problems. These are minor issues as we walk with God and as we have fellowship with God and as we look to being with him forever and standing before him as the judge of the world. The major issue in our life is sin. This is the major problem. But as we listen and as we recognize that, listen to these great words in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The apostle was talking about sinning and being aware of sin. And he says this in 1 John 3, 8. He says, for the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. What is that? That he should what? Destroy. There's certain words I like better than other words. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. The whole purpose and impact and effect of the cross of Christ was to pay the full, final, and forever wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. And having paid that, to open to us, to usher us into the love of God. And Jesus does that by paying for our sin, by destroying Satan's ability any longer. Not to have influence over us, but to have domination and control over us. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, 1 John 3, 8, that he might do what? Destroy the works of Satan. See, now that we've been saved, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit not only to bring the effect of what Jesus accomplished in the cross and in his resurrection to us in our salvation, but it is to continue the work that Jesus accomplished in our salvation. As in our lives on a daily moment, day by day basis, the Holy Spirit is continually and constantly and passionately active in one issue, and that is he is destroying the works of Satan in my life and in your life, which was done at the cross and are being applied in our lives day by day, issue by issue. This is what he's supposed to be doing. If you're not experiencing this in your life, perhaps you need to go to the Lord and say, am I even saved? But if we are believers, we must be seeing that my life is demonstrating little by little sometimes, a lot by a lot, sometimes, but there is a movement of destruction of the activity of Satan in my life. Hopefully today there is less control of Satan through his manipulation and his deception in my life than it was last week and last year. 
How is he doing this? How is the Holy Spirit continuing to do this? By conforming us to the obedience of Christ. By conforming us to the obedience of Christ. You notice what I said, by not only conforming us to Christ, as Romans 8, 29 says, but conforming us to the obedience, because sometimes we fail to understand the essence of that conforming work is that we are being conformed to the very obedience of this great Savior, Jesus Christ. And it has to do with the way we handle temptation and we deal with sin. So this activity of the Holy Spirit in conforming us to the obedience of Christ is called mortification of sin. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Mortification. Mortify. To die. This is what it's called. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 11 and 13, which Keith introduced last week. Romans chapter 8. Verses 11 to 13, Paul is talking about this. As he's instructing the church in chapter 8 of Romans concerning the activities of the Holy Spirit. I think I might be right with this. But before we get to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned one time in Romans. In chapter 5, verse 5. I think I'm correct in that. But once you get to chapter 8, all of a sudden, now that Paul has explained and dealt with the whole issue of our justification by faith, the work of the cross, Jesus having paid the price, all of that has now been dealt with and set before us. All of a sudden he begins to deal with how to live it out. And the primary activity of chapter 8 is about the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's work. You might want to do this, just take a marker or something and write down or mark how many times the word spirit and Holy Spirit is used just in that one chapter. And so this is what we have. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you have the Holy Spirit, and if you're saved, you do have the Holy Spirit living in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, under the leadership and the domination and the control and the desires of the flesh, he says you're going to die. You're going to die. But if by the spirit, If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. So mortification of sin is not my grabbing myself up, yanking myself together, making a decision, I'm going to do this whether it kills me and kills everybody around me. No, it is a decision to look to the work of the Holy Spirit and His presence in my life and to embrace him so that as the Holy Spirit in me and with me, we together, together with God, Holy Spirit in me and with me, us together, not all God, all God, and none of me. That's not good theology. It's not, you know, let go and let God. It's not good theology. It's God and me together. 
That's the theology of the Bible. And as that occurs, I will begin and you will begin to experience that great intangible work of the Spirit as it begins to deal with our sin. The intangible work of the Spirit therefore involves these two issues. It involves the tangible, the things that we know about with our senses, and it involves the intangible. It has to be both. Well, what of the, what of the tangible is involved here? What of tangibility is involved here? The tangibility aspect of the Spirit's work is the Spirit is teaching us that the word, what the Word of God says about our sin. That's the tangible. That's the beginning work of the Holy Spirit. After I am saved, the Holy Spirit begins to direct my mind and my attention to the Word of God. Jeff was absolutely right. The Word of God has got to be our primary reading. Now, I make no apologies for this. I make no apologies. The Word of God has to be primary in your desire and in the activity that you give to it and of your passion and dependence upon and looking to as real life in our lives. Church, it has to be. I meet with people regularly. I often call them into the office, just say, I'd like an update. Can you come see me? Let's update your life. How many of you go to the doctors just to get once a year updates or whatever? Anybody does that? What do you call that when you go to the doctor? Help me. Checkup. Anybody get checkups in here? Why do you get checkups? I don't want to die. Right, Mo? How are you doing your reading? Well, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can. That's a euphemism for I ain't reading nothing. I mean, it just means that. Huh? Come on. You're, you're sitting in front of an old preacher, and you're afraid to tell him, I'm not reading at all. So you try to couch it in terms that at least will ameliorate the difficulty, and it just says more about your guilt. I'd rather be told, I haven't opened my Bible in six weeks. Kathy, just tell me that rather than, well, I'm trying to do May I say to you this, that the moment you try to read your Bible, you are going to fail. Stop trying to read your Bible and start reading. May I say that one more time? Stop trying to read your Bible and start reading. How many of you parents say, when your child says, I'm trying to do my homework, you say, okay, and he's just still fiddling around. Or how many of you say, put that thing down and do your homework? How many of you do that? Come on, how many of you do that? God is saying, put the stuff down and let's do our homework. Just do it. The tangible. How will I know what is pleasing and not pleasing to God? What is sin and what is not sin? What is good and what is evil? What is right? And what is wrong apart from the Word of God? Apart from the Word of God, you will know nothing in these categories. Nothing. 
You say, that's a strong comment. Nothing. Because in the Word of God is contained the entire counsel of God and the entire revelation that God wants us to know concerning Himself, concerning ourselves, concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning everything that pertains to life and godliness. John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the Holy Spirit takes the tangible word of God. Now that means that when he takes that word, he doesn't do this, forces it into our minds, but he takes it by our knowing we need to have this word in our hearts by our taking the time to sit down, open, and begin to read this word that needs to be in our hearts. And as we do that, we are cooperating with the leading of the Holy Spirit as he is inculcating in us his word. Perhaps a large reason why there's so much weakness in our lives spiritually and even naturally This word is not sufficiently ingrained in us. Oh, that the men of this church would know the books of the Bible as well as we know the men on the team. That the women would know the content of this word as well as they know what's happening on Facebook. says, well, you're kind of putting us on the spot. Thank you. (laughs) I don't make apologies for this. If I apologize for it, throw me out of the building. And then he takes this tangible word. And then he takes this word that he has put in our hearts and our minds. And the Holy Spirit begins to apply the content the reality of what God has said about himself and about us, about the world, about God's purpose, about our sin. He begins to apply it to our hearts to reveal and deal with sin's activity in us. All of a sudden we begin to realize and understand, wow, what he said on this page is going on in me. Psalm 119, 11, he says, I have hidden or stored up thy word in my heart. Why have I stored up or hidden? Why have I feasted upon the word of God that I might not sin against thee? But you have to remember this. Just knowing the word of God and reading the word of God and memorizing the word of God does not stop us from sin. That is the tangible material that the Holy Spirit gives to us And then begins to apply in us through that intangible, mysterious work of God as he begins to show us and deal in our hearts concerning what is going on in us as it's revealed in the Word of God. Is this clear to you? Now, how does the Holy Spirit's tangible application of the Word of God work in us? How does it happen? As he increasingly makes aware, as he makes increasingly aware of how our thoughts and our attitudes and our behavior is sinfully displeasing to God for the purpose of overcoming sin. That's how he does it. 
He begins to make us aware. Aware of what I'm doing is displeasing to God. You see, God's purpose is to mature us into the image of his son. He has saved us. He has saved us for the purpose of transforming us into being his image bearers, as he talked about in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That's God's purpose. But you see, there's something in the way of our being matured. It's our sin. It's not the forgiveness of our sin because in Christ we are a forgiven people. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. If I just said everybody in here wins a new car, there'd be pandemonium. We are God's forgiven people. Amen. Amen. The car is going to break down and cost you something. The forgiveness is taking you into heaven forever. It's not an issue of forgiveness. It's an issue of unclogging the pipes. See, Steve Roberts would tell you, when you turn on the spigot and just a little drip's coming out of there, what you need to do, Steve would tell you this, what you need to do is call the sewage and water board and have more water put in the pipes. Now, how many of you would call the water board? Charlie, you would do that, right? You'd call the water board and say, could you put more water in my pipe? Because when I turn on the spigot, just a drip comes forward. Well, no, of course, the thing that's in the way of the flow of the water is the stuff of the gook inside of it. It's called New Orleans living. Once you clear the gook, man, the water flows. You see, once sin begins to be dealt with and overcome consistently and regularly, then all of a sudden we begin to experience a great and wonderful, intimate blessing of God's presence and His work in my life. What's holding it back so often in our lives is the activity of sin that I'm not dealing with. I don't want to get riled up out here. Up here. But there are certain issues that you can't speak about monotonally because this is an issue that is destroying the God's ability to transform us. And on the day of judgment, so many of us, and I'll put myself in the us column, are going to be, oh, why, what? Today is a day to begin the Dutch deal with this issue. So that our pipes may be cleaned out so the water of life may flow through us as an ever-living stream. The living water that Jesus talked about. Living water means ever-flowing. Living water means ever-flowing. No wonder the woman said, hey, give me this living water. I don't have to come to this well because I can just kind of keep it going, keep it going. That's what living water means in John 4, John 7, and other places. It's ever-flowing. Sin has to be dealt with. I call this process of sin being, being dealt with, and the Holy Spirit gave this to me one night. I was out praying, minding my own business, talking to God, and whatever the thing, and it, and it came out like this, reveal, deal, and heal. Reveal, deal, and heal. And I like that because there's a hook. It can help me to remember what God is doing. Reveal, deal, and heal. Let's talk about reveal. Now, be brave on this one. And wives, when your husband raises your hand, don't be critical of him. And husbands, when your wife doesn't raise your hand, don't be critical of her. How many of us 
know from the inside when we're sinning? How many of us know when we're sinning? Most hands went up. We know when we're sinning. How do you know? Just sit for a moment. Think. I'm not in a hurry. We have all day long. <laughs> Phil Widener says that we can get, you can get, what do you call those things? DV, uh, the, uh, the game, what do you call it? DVRs. I don't know what a DVR is, but you can get a DVR of the game. Well, I don't know what a v DVR is, but you can get something about the game. You know? Look, I want the Saints to win today, and I want them to go to the Super Bowl and beat the stuffing out of whoever we're playing. But more importantly, let's deal with our sin by the work of the Holy Spirit, because that's the real game of life. Come on, come on. I'm not against the Saints. When Porter made that interception a couple of years ago, I was standing right there. I shot up in there. We won. We won. <laughs> well, great. People think, well, he doesn't like sports. I do like sports, but I like this better. Amen. How do you know you sin? Think. Remember. Sit there for a moment. How did you know you sinned? You see, something on the inside that, I, 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 but you know, mm, Keith does this. You know, each one of us have our little peculiarities. I have a lot, but he does this. How do you know you sin? What'd you say? One more time, I didn't hear you. You feel it. I don't know who she is, but she was right. That's Omi. We had Omi. You feel it. Something is happening on the inside of us. We can't put our hands on it. We can't see it with our eyes, smell it with our nose, hear it with the etc. We can't do that. But something real is happening on the inside of me. We get that inner sense, that inner realization that what I am doing is wrong. What is that inner sense? Who's telling you you're wrong? The devil? Do you believe the devil is telling you wrong? That it's wrong to commit adultery? Huh? Well, if the spirit of this world is not telling you it's wrong to commit adultery or to have lustful thoughts or to be greedy or envious or angry or impatient or whatever, then who's telling you this? Holy Spirit. And on what basis has he told you? He's told you this because these are things that he has explained and revealed to you by his word. Now, I understand there's certain things that are in us and you know by birth. Indigenous to us in our nature. But the Bible is the one that categorizes all these things and we make sure that this is sin because there are things in our lives that we may think of sin that are simply not sin. So we have to be clear on this. That's why we need to know the word. How do you know you sin? 
Holy Spirit is at work. It's that intangible, mysterious work. John 16, 8, Jesus told the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, one of his work is to do what? Convict of sin. And we think, well, that's convict the world of sin. Well, that means just to convict of sin, when all those people are going to hell, they're going to hell, and that's how I got saved because I got. No, it's convicting of sin, certainly, to bring us into the kingdom of God. We need to be convicted of sin so we would call upon the name of the Lord to save us from the wrath of God. But now it's a continuing conviction of sin that is occurring in my life. It has nothing to do with forgiveness. We are forgiven. Thank God we're forgiven. It has everything to do with cleaning out the pipes. So that we may be God's mature and joy-filled and blessed people to a much greater degree. How is he doing it? He's reminding us of what the Word of God calls sin. You know, what does the Word of God tell us about sin? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21 in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. We put the list up here on the board. <laughs> That's an old teacher, isn't it? Remember I had blackboards? I used to be teacher, you know, but the board, the screen. <laughs> now, how do I know what is sin? How is God doing the work of touching my heart about sin? He is reminding us of what the Word of God calls sin. What does the Word of God tell us about sin? Now, these are just two short areas, but there are plenty more. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Any kind of sexual immorality. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this. Please don't do that. But have any of us had any issue this week in thought, word, or deed of sexual immorality? How do you know? How do you know it was sin? Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, allowing anything to take the place of God, no matter what it is. Sorcery, depending on other things for the good of our life. Enmity. You know, that strife, that anger, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. He says, I've already told you once, you ain't going to inherit the kingdom of God if you do this stuff as your way of life. Not just one time. How do you know? How in the world did we know that we were sinning? Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter. But it's how do you... He's comparing love to what is not love. He says, love is patient and kind. How many, again, don't raise your hands, how many this week were impatient? I mean, you see, my impatience at the red light wasn't my fault. I needed to get somewhere, and the doggone red light got in my way. So don't blame me for impatience. It was a light. Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, the opposite of that is not love. Therefore, it's sin. Were you unkind this week? Oh, you may have come across as kind. Hi. 
but inside of you, you were reeking of unkindness. Therefore, you were hypocritical, and you were lying. And you see, it just kind of gets bigger, doesn't it? You were looking, trying to look good before people, so that's idolatry. <laughs> Love does not envy or boast. I don't boast. I just crow about a lot of things, but I don't boast. Therefore, you can call me an old crow. I don't boast. I just like to talk about the things that I can do. Boasting. It's not arrogant or rude. Anyone rude this week? How do you know you were rude? Well, they told you so, but... <laughs> but how do you know that the rudeness was wrong? How do you know it? Who's telling you that these things are wrong? Who? The Spirit of God is telling you. How was he telling you? I, I don't know. I just get that inner what? Feeling, that sense, that disquietness in me. I know something is not right. Something's going on. Love does not insist on its own way. See, this is something that the guys on staff will tell you I never deal with, insisting on my own way. Who laughed? Someone laughed. I mean, A.J. DeSherry, where are you, A.J.? Where's A.J.? The other day was telling me about, I was said I want to express an opinion. What did you say my opinion was like what? Man, you said it was something like, you know, the proclamation or something. I'm not like that. How do I know it's sin? How do I know these things? Is it important for me to know these are sin? Is it important? Yes. It is not irritable or resentful. And I know there are no resentful and irritable people in here, so we can pass that one real fast. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. What is sin? Rejoicing when, oh, I'm so sorry he got it. We do these things. We do these things. You see, the danger is not that we do them. Because we're human beings. Anybody not a human being in here? I saw that wife trying to nudge out. No. <laughs> the danger is not that we do them. The danger is that we're not recognizing, listening to, and cooperating with that intangible work of the Holy Spirit to reveal, deal, and healing us. That's the danger. Danger isn't the activity of sin because we are going to sin until we leave these bodies. The danger is we're not cooperating with God's only means of dealing with the sin. The intangible work of the Holy Spirit in me applying the tangible revelation of God's word. That's the danger here. So he reveals, he also deals. You see, why does the Holy Spirit reveal sin? He reveals it in order to deal with it. He doesn't reveal it and to make it guilty, you know, put you under the 
condemnation thought. That's you doing that. That's the enemy's thoughts. Now, this may seem strange to you, but one of the most joyful experiences you and I should have is when the Holy Spirit reveals sin to us. Oh, there's a grief in the heart. Because we have dishonored God in our sin. But with the grief, there is great joy of hope of overcoming. Do you feel like this? Anybody feel like this? He deals with us by first revealing and then beginning to deal with the sin. So when he reveals sin, then he encourages us. He moves us. How does he do it? I don't know. I'm just moved. I need to confess. I need to repent. I need to get away from this thing. I need to get it out of me, if you would. And so he encourages us to agree with his revelation. This is called the intangible work of the Holy Spirit as to our sin. It's called confession. 1 John 1, 9. What does it say? If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive our sin and do what? Cleanse us from how much? How much? All unrighteousness. Don't be condemned by the revelation of sin. You are going to sin until you leave this body of sin. That's not an excuse to do it, but it's at least an understanding of who we are by nature, by birth. But God's gracious grace and overwhelming love is that he would tell us that we're sinning. How many parents love their children and don't tell them not to run into the street? You don't love your children. Discipline, godly discipline and control, etc., is loving. This world is full of bull concerning its way of dealing with disobedience and sin. It's the word of God that tells us what to do and how to do it. The right way that pleases God. You see, as we agree with the Spirit leading me to confess, I'm embarrassed. I understand embarrassment. I understand shame. We should feel those things. But we should never allow them to get into the way of confession. Confession means to say the same thing as or to agree with. I confess, Father, I was wrong. The moment or even in the midst of the sin act, attitude the thought the word of the deed when the holy spirit says wrong stop and agree with god you're right i'm wrong he reveals the sin how i don't know he just i don't know but i know it's sin then he deals with sin by causing me by causing you to know i have to confess this thing either to God or however he says to confess it. I have to do that. I have to get this poison out. I have to vomit it out. It has to be gotten out. And as I confess, then he empowers my heart and my mind to turn from my sin, to repent. You see, the reason why we can confidently and joyfully confess our sin is because we have a heavenly father 
who has forgiven us of all of it before we commit it. And with him there is no wrath, punishment, condemnation for the sin. Jesus has borne the entire price. Therefore, we can go back confidently to God and say, Father, for the fifth time this week, I have sinned. Father, move by your spirit to begin to cleanse me of this issue that is so prevalent in my heart. I don't want to do this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in me. Don't be afraid to confess sin. You're going to a God who knows it anyway, knew it before you did it. He knew all the times that we would be fools and sin before he saved us, and he saved us knowing the foolishness and the sinfulness that we would get ourselves into, and yet knowing all of that, he saved and forgave us of the whole mess so we could be now God's free people to come to him freely to confess, to enable by the Holy Spirit to repent. Now that to me is great freedom. To heal. You see, once we have cooperated with the spirits empowering us to repent, we can enjoy the healing presence of God. How many of us have sinned and have gone through this process successfully by the leading of the Holy Spirit and have enjoyed the peaceable fruit of righteousness or the healing of God? How many of us have experienced that great lifting? Thank you, Lord. Heal. See, God reveals to deal to get to the healing. Why? He wants to heal us. So reveal and deal must occur. Then the healing begins and the balm of Gilead begins to be applied to my soul. And I begin to feel, literally feel a lifting from me. Anybody experience any of this? It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Sinclair Ferguson lists four basic evidences for this kind of repentance. A renewed trust in God for his continuing faithfulness. How many of us have actually come to know and appreciate God so much more because the way he let us reveal, deal, and heal in our sin? You know, the odd thing here is that you will never understand and experience the forgiveness of sin, uh, uh, sin, uh, forgiveness of sin until you sin. How many in here have been healed of something they've never had? Well, no. How many of you have appreciated the ability of medicine, God using medicine to heal you because you were sick and you got well? Well, of course. Of course. You see, what, what we're trying to do is take away the enemy's ability to foul you up in this. Not an excuse to sin, but through the Holy Spirit, it's a way, the only way to deal with sin effectively for the glory of God. Not only a renewed trust, but a renewed obedience. A rejection of the sin that produces greater awareness and resistance. Rejection of it. Experience of joy and peace and greater freedom from sin. Let's talk a little bit about dealing with temptation. 
by the Spirit. There's a verse in Galatians 5.1 that says this. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, the slavery of sin. What do we do when we're tempted? Well, what we do when we're tempted is the same thing that we do at every other time. We listen for, we recognize, we submit to, we receive, and we walk in the good of that work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You see, once again, the Word of God is absolutely paramount. Did I ask you to put Romans 6 up there on the board? Let's turn to chapter 6 of Romans. Chapter 6 of Romans. How do we deal with temptation to sin? Well, first of all, you have to know the very basic truth here. Romans 6, 1. Paul is saying, what then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Some goofball has said, as a result of Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace more greatly abounds. Well, if sin causes grace to abound, that means I ought to sin more because the more I sin, the more grace is identified. And ma- No, Paul said, what? Are you saying this? He says, may it never be. Then in verse 2, what does he say? How can we, and then in the Greek he says we, we doubles it. How can we, we who what? Died to sin continue sinning what is the most fundamental issue about our temptation to sin what is the most fundamental issue it's this get it I don't care what your experience has been if you are a saved man or woman this is the truth of God Sin's authority and control and domination and mastery over the believer has been broken forever at the cross. Now get it in your hearts and your minds. I don't have to sin anymore. Satan no longer can force me to sin. And I have to encourage him in this regularly. I have to regularly say, Satan, you cannot make me say that, think that, or do that. When he gets up in my face, I get back in his face with the truth of the word of God. And when you get in the face of the tempter with the truth of the word of God, the tempter's going down. Can you say amen? You see, we're too man-dependy about this thing, about sin. Stop saying, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin. And start dealing with the issue directly in the power of God. And you will find that sin's activity will begin to loosen its hold and grip over your life. Let us not be wimps. Let us be the strong people of God. Taking up the armor of God, as Ephesians 6 says. And let us do in our lives what Jesus did at the cross. Crush the head of the tempter. Rather than him bruising us all over our bodies. I'm tired of sin in my life. I'm tired of sin in the church. We all ought to be tired of it. To this place, like a great man said, that's all I can stand. 
I can't stand no more. And when he took that spinach, he drank it down. The guy on the other side of the fist felt the power of the spinach. God, the Holy Spirit, is my spinach. I need to recognize this. Stop whimpering and groaning and, oh, I wish I wouldn't, oh, poor me, and start dealing with the issue with truth. Listen to verse 6 in chapter 6 of Romans. He said, Jesus, how do we die to sin? Jesus died, buried, resurrected. That's how it happened. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, knowing what? We don't have to sin. No more mastery. Jesus died. He was buried. He was raised. Therefore, he's broke all the power of sin. Knowing this, that our old self, the self that was under sin's control, was crucified with Christ in order that our physical body, this body of sin, might be brought to nothing so that we no, we no longer be slaves of sin. What does it mean, not might be brought to nothing? That sin's power in my natural body no longer has sway over me. That's what it means. No more. And then verse 11 says just to believe it. And verses 12, 13, 14 say do it. Do it. I mean, Paul's real easy, verse 12. Therefore, do it. Do what? Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Well, I don't know. Yes, you can. See, when I'm tempted by Satan, I can decide to take hold of the truth that is in James 4, 7. What is James 4, 7? Submit yourself to God. Know the word. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Do what he tells you to do. Submit yourself to God. Once you've done that, then what? What does he say? What's that word? Say it one more time. Resist the devil. What's the promise when you resist in the power of the Spirit working in you through the Word of God? What's the promise? And he will flee from you. I've, I've experienced this many times. This is not theology for me only. This is life. See, when I make the tangible decision to say no to sin, the power of the Spirit in me takes over and mysteriously causes Satan to flee. He's not fleeing because I said no and because I have bad breath. He's fleeing because the power of the Almighty God is in that Holy Spirit inspired and anointed. No! And when the God of glory in my life says no through my no, Satan has to flee. And temptation and all of its gang has to go. Anybody experience any of this? If you're not, this is where you need to begin. You see, how many of you can sin when it's coming? How many can smell sin when it's coming? Come on, come on, come on, come on. How many know when sins are coming? Come on, come on, you know when sins are coming, come on. The moment you know sins are coming, that's when you say no. Don't let it come, knock on your door, invite it in, sit down and start talking to it. The moment you smell its bad breath, attack. 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 If you saw somebody putting their filthy hands on your little child, you would not stand there 
and watch. What would you do? You would rise up and attack. See, we're not vicious enough. We have a vicious enemy, and we're trying to deal with him politely. Attacking. He was viciously attacked and defeated at the cross. Thank God. Thank God. Why can we do this? Why can we do it? Steve, why? We can do it because we can do it. How many of us in here can, understanding the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, what we've been saying, how many of us can, every time we are tempted, say no to sin? How many of us can do that? Yes. Therefore, what should we be experiencing on a much larger scale in our lives? A much greater diminution, a diminishing of sin's activity. Not of its presence is going to be present with me until I die. But no longer is that presence empowered by domination. It's been broken. And I don't have to submit to that presence and that sin, that temptation, or that deception, or that lie, or whatever. Because I had the Holy Spirit in me and I had the Word of God here in which to deal with the sin successfully every time it comes to my doorstep. We can because we are God's people. We can because Christ has won the victory over sin and Satan at the cross. Not now, but read Colossians 2, 14 and 15. The seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, you're going to hurt the enemy. You're going to step on his head. In Colossians 2.14 and 15, Jesus is shown to be triumphant, smashing the head of the enemy. And that's what we should be doing in our dealing with sin. We can because the Word of God tells us this in 1 John 4.4. Greater is he who is in us than he, the enemy, who is in the world. Sin is not greater. Satan is not greater. If you took all of Satan and all of his gang together on your doorstep, one Holy Spirit-inspired, anointed, no, would destroy their, all their ability together, collectively, to make you sin. Can't do it. It cannot happen. We sin for one reason. Why? We want to. Next time you sin, don't go to God. I didn't want to do this. You did want to do it. That's why you did it. Stop lying. I did want to do this. But, oh, God, empower me the next time I'm tempted, that when I am being tempted, that voice in me, I will not submit to sin, and I will not sin. That rises up in me, and I attack the sin and the Satan and the temptation and the circumstance with this. I will not sin. You sin because you have not decided not to sin. You sin because you have not sufficiently decided not to sin. Now, come on. When your children don't do their homework, what do your mama and your daddy tell them? You just didn't do it right. You can do it. You're just not doing what is right, what you should do. Come on, we know these things. See, we need to be a church that where sin, the activity, is being put away much more greatly in this church so we can mature unto the glory of God here.
See, years ago, years ago, I lived ignorant of the Spirit's power to overcome sin and even to the knowledge of the Word of God that I don't have to sin anymore. I was ignorant of that. Saved but ignorant. So I knew the Word of God at least hopefully well enough in the basics to know the difference between right and wrong, but I wasn't experiencing victory in my life. Wasn't doing it. You may be there today. You may say, that is my life. I'm not experiencing victory. I'm being defeated. You see, it was not until I began to experience the work of the Spirit in me in dealing with my sin that I began to experience victory. Not total victory. No man can say that. Not in the Apostle Paul who says, I've not yet arrived in chapter 3 of Philippians. He said, I've not gotten there, but I know one thing. This is what I'm doing. I'm pressing on. I ain't got there, but I'm moving forward. I haven't gotten there, but I guarantee I am moving forward. Oh, well, that's arrogant. No, that's not arrogant. That's just a man who is submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit because it said, if I do that, I am moving forward. What happened? The Spirit began to produce in me through various struggles and difficulties, strong conviction and anger with my sin. I can't tell you how angry I am with sin. Not with you, but with sin. I am absolutely in a turmoil about the activity of sin in me and in you. And we all should have a greater turmoil in us because this is the thing that is rotting the glory of God's revelation in us. It's destroying relationships. It's tearing up families. It's killing futures. We're way too glib about sin in our lives. Way too glib. Begin to ask God to give you his feelings about sin. That sent his son to the cross to die the worst agony of all. Simply to be able to forgive us of this issue of sin. I began to hear the voice of the spirit about my sin. And began to cooperate by saying no. I wish I could tell you I always say no. But when I do, I guarantee this without any equivocation, without any fear of contradiction, every time. May I repeat that word? Every time. May I say that word one more time? What word did I say? Every time I have said no to sin in the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning no, that sin has always fled from me. Now, if I can do this, why am I different than anyone else in here? Am I different? No. We all have the same spirit if we're saved. We all have the same word of God. We all have the same capability by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be a church that does what we've talked about today and rise up and do what the psalm said. The psalm said, 
Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the king of kings. And one of the primary ways of doing that is to say no. Listen to the intangible. Feel God. Cooperate with God. Understand the word of God. And let us allow the Holy Spirit to take the the tangible reality of revelation from the word of God and combine it with the intangible presence and work of the Holy Spirit in me and let us join together with him in this great venture of being a church that we are overcoming sin regularly, continually, and more and more for the glory of God in our midst. Let's stand together.